We are doing a series of worship, raising worshipers, and I never know how to spell worshipers if it's got two P's or one P because it's got both on the internet, so that was not very helpful. But <laughs> in King David's day, he established a prophetic culture of musical worship and praise to God, which was the first time that had ever been done. Uh, before that time, I think this is our third week, so you may hear some repeated things, but it was the first time that that had ever been done. Before that, it was uh, sacrificial forms of worship was the only they would build an altar sacrifice. Sacrifice goes up, fire comes down, power comes down. There's still some truth to that when you offer a sacrifice of praise is sacrifice goes up and power comes down. That, that's all through scripture. But there was only sacrificial praise. And so King David, a boy who loved to worship when no one was looking, a boy who loved to worship when no one saw him uh, musically, was so anointed even as a young boy that they would call him into the throne room of a king. Uh, who, did, who he did not know, who ended up being his father-in-law, that was Saul, uh, when he was struggling with demonic oppression, and they would bring this little boy in, and he would play a harp or an instrument. Just said he played, it doesn't actually say he sang, but he would just play, and the demons would leave. And so there's something that he learned in his former years of worship that has to do with music. And when he became king, and it's why I believe he became king, he had to worship his heart, is that he instituted worship for musical worship and new styles, new types of worship. He actually saw something in heaven. Uh, it's my belief. It, it alludes to that in two, uh, 1 Chronicles 28, verse, uh, I think it's 10 to 12. And he saw something and he built it in a sense. He established it on the earth, never before seen. And so he instituted worship 24 7, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year with music instruments of praise and worship and singers, and he appointed them, and they were full-time. It's all that they did, almost 10,000 of them for 33 years, the exact same length as Jesus' life. And he established something on the earth that prophetically was pointing to a whole bunch of stuff that we've kind of touched on. And if I can just be vulnerable with you this morning, maybe my wife and I, we just vulnerable morning, maybe, I guess. Maybe I just want to be like her. I don't know, but... You know, this series is, is, in the past when I've preached this series, I've preached it numerous times, I've felt not a resistance from the people in terms of a bad heart, but just a resistance from the culture, you know? And this time, I don't. I just feel like people are actually saying, yeah, but I feel a resistance from the Spirit. <laughs> it's almost like the people are like, yeah. And so the, the, the enemy's like, oh, no. So sometimes when that happens, when there's great resistance, some of you preachers will know what I'm talking about. You're preaching, and you sometimes cannot even remember what comes out of your mouth. It's just such an attack. And that's what it was like last week for me. So I actually, it just gets me excited. I'm like, well, damn, we're going to preach it again. It's just a wonderful thing. It says that God made a covenant with David. The Bible talks about that. It's one of the covenants in the Old Testament. But his covenant was of an eternal throne. And so all the kings from David until the New Testament are actually in his lineage. And even Jesus, obviously, was called the son of David. He came from that lineage. Now, David was the son of Judah, of the tribe of Judah. And David means beloved, and Judah means praise. Beloved praise. That was his name in his house. And you look what he established, praise that had to do with the heart, not just sacrificial worship. And he established all the seven different forms of Hebrew praise that we've gone through, Toda and Yada and Halal and Sahila and all the different Hebrew words for praise. And they're all different. 
They're all different, and some of them are thanksgiving, and some of them are barak, which means to kneel, to adore, to actually to bless God, which is a priestly function, yeah? To bless the Lord. So last week we looked at this, and we looked at more than worship and the Davidic order of worship. And, you know, why this series? Why now? Why do I feel God's put it on my heart again? Well, firstly, the Bible says that God is looking for worshipers. The more I read that scripture, it stuns me that the Father is seeking those who will worship. It's not because He needs worship, but He understands that when we worship, specifically when we worship in the God's patterns, in God's ways, which He's revealed in Scripture, it's just not well known, unfortunately, not in the first world culture, that He looks for a witness on the earth. Because in heaven you see His worship and it's musical, continual, and it's centered around the attributes of God, and it releases his government and his power and his authority. And he's looking for that witness on earth to do the same here. So this is not anything new. <laughs> it's been around for thousands of years, thousands and thousands of years, and I've, I've found, if I, can, if I can say this, one of the stark contrasts for me when I moved to this nation was obviously many, many things, but one of the major the first things that I recognize, and it's not wrong or right, it's just different, is that the spirit realm is very open in Africa and it has its positives and negatives. It does. But I found there that, you know, I once did a healing school there, taught on healing and the atonement, and they wouldn't even listen to me until, you know, we've prayed for someone that's been healed. You gotta show them before they will even look at this. And then I found the opposite here you can do something, but well, that's false, that's, you know, in the, in the last days, there will be these false, you know, all the fear because of the abuse over the years or because of the, the misuse, you know, but the answer for misuse is not no use, it's correct use, you know, because the enemy can only counterfeit. And so I found here, you have to show them here and then they'll embrace it. And because if we see it in God's word, it's not really, doesn't really matter if it's cultural or not. Yeah? Yeah, it's the truth. So, there's David's tabernacle, it's more than worship, and then you get the Davidic order of worship. But I, the why is that I believe the body of Christ is largely flying very, very low. And that's not an accusation, it's just, it's a burning heart of mine. It doesn't mean I'm talking about you or us or certain, a certain church. Largely in the world, the body of Christ you know, even through Israel's history, you see the body of Christ, in a sense, Israel, do this, right? Up, down. And I believe that we're on an upward stream, and God is moving, and He's drawing, and He's calling. But the body of Christ is actually, there's such power in the Lord. There's such authority. And, you know, many believers, it's like they've forgotten their God. They know him here, they know him here, but the genuine relationship and intimacy and the expression of God's authority and the purpose of God's authority is not to exalt the man, not to exalt the preacher, not to exalt, all of that, it's God is wanting to move. And I believe very strongly that it's established on worship. And I believe that when Jesus said, we will do greater works, I just believe that he meant that. I just believe he meant that. And that we don't seek him for that, we seek him for him. He's the first prize. And I believe that when he said, 
The day is coming when all my sheep will hear my voice. I just believe he meant that. And so there's a, there's a desire that God has put in our heart here at Free, Free Life, but in my heart as well personally, to see what it is for a believer to be a believer, to raise a standard, to raise a standard, because we can't make it happen in the flesh. But if we open our heart and see what's here, because sometimes it's something that we're, in a sense, already doing. But it's like, is that okay? Can I feel like that? Can I do that? You know? Because we don't know. And so it's to look into the Word. And I also know that it's been too long since, since we've seen the genuine power of God. You know, I'm not talking about gifts. His power. His real power. You know, I saw some of that when I was younger and... Uh, he still is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he has done mighty wonders, friends. Mighty wonders. And there is none like him. And the expression of God through his bride on the earth is so low. It's so low. And it's become about rules and it's never his heart. He's a lover, but he has all authority and all power. All power. I mean, think about all power. You can't measure it. It's, it's measureless. I, and I've seen some amazing things, but we think when we see amazing things, then, you know, we'll be changed forever. It's just not true. It's just not true. <laughs> it always comes back to the relationship. Always. I saw signs and wonders and miracles when I was a child. Ongoingly. Five or six years. Constantly. I mean, stuff that if I told you, you may actually not believe me, even with this preface. And yet, I walked away from the Lord and went into drugs. I mean, it's just a human nature. It comes from relationship. You know, in Exodus 24, they went up the mountain with God. I mean, it's, you go read Exodus 24. It's too crazy to read. They went up the mountain, the 70 elders, they went up the mountain, they, they ate dinner with him. I mean, come on. It says there was a, on the sapphire stone, sapphire is actually, it's not like a bright jewel, it, it's see-through. That's what you put on a watch. That's why watches don't scratch. There's a coating of sapphire, it's totally transparent. I mean, this probably the most, one of the most extravagant encounters between God and man in the scripture. And then they come down and they make a golden calf. And I'm like, what? Because we have in our human mind, if I could just encounter God like him, or like her, or like that one, then I will be like them. It's just not true. <laughs> Encounters will change your life. But it's a relational aspect. It's relationship. And that will lead to multiple encounters. But it's, it's not for that, it's for the relationship. This cannot be done through carnal weapons. The change that we want to see in America, the change that we want to see in whatever nation you're from, in politics, in government, it's not going to happen through carnal weapons. I said it here a while ago. Abortion, whatever side you stand on with on abortion, the enemy actually doesn't care what side you stand on, as long as you use carnal weapons to try and force it. And I know that's a harsh statement. Obviously, I stand very clearly against that. 
not against the people who have struggled and suffered. We want to love and help and bless them and work with them, obviously. But we want to save the babies, but to try and, to try and enforce something, to bring a principality stronghold down with carnal weapons. You know, it doesn't work. But we've been given spiritual weapons, mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. And it's established on worship and praise and honor and glory. And it'll cost you time. I wrote you it'll cost you time, money, reputation, and even friends <laughs> to really begin to worship and praise God. I mean, David praised as the king, so they couldn't fire him, right? So, but he praised as the king. And the reason he took all his clothes off when they brought the ark of God and they set it up in David's tent in this little tabernacle that he erected for it, it didn't, wasn't fully naked, some people think. He had a priestly ephod on, a linen ephod, which was strange, but we covered that last week because he wasn't a priest, but actually he was. But, you know, his, his wife, Saul's daughter, despised him. You know the story? She looked at him out the window and says she despised him in her heart. When leadership, which is represented, David represents that, in order to establish the presence of God in a physical location, in a church, in a house, in a heart. It will cost reputation. Always. It just will. And sometimes the former wineskin, the former leaders and their house will look at you and despise you. It's all over the Bible. It's all over human history. <laughs> but all of that seems to fade away because you get him. Actually him. His presence, his person, his power. And that, that's a game changer. That really is a game changer. And so what David did was he broke open the heavens through musical praise and worship, through the establishment of singers and musicians and chief musicians. He set up his throne right there in the midst of that to rule from that place. And all business and kingdom decisions were made from a place of an open heaven through continual praise and worship. He transcended even the system of the law. You know that? He transcended the entire covenant that he was in. In a sense, he came right out of it. And he established something that looked like the new covenant that pointed there. Where one day, he was saying, one day people will come. A Messiah will come. In my line, he will be the genuine king. There will be a one-time sacrifice. There was only one sacrifice at David's tabernacle. And after that one-time sacrifice, people will worship with no veil. There was no veil in David's tabernacle. And they will be righteous because Moses' tabernacle will have been fulfilled. <laughs> and that will be no more. And you will stand before God as righteous with no veil, having access, and you will be able to worship in his presence forever. This is all pointing at that. And you will be royal. You will be priests. I mean, we went into all of that. So if you have a Bible, can you turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 5? You will see in, um, if you've been here, you'll know it because we've been over it. But there were two tabernacles running at the same time. Yeah? You remember? The tabernacle of Moses under priest Zadok on Mount Gibeon, six miles away. And the tabernacle of David or the tent of David. The ark was put in that one and established musical praise that looked like the order of heaven. 
yet the priests continued with all the blood and the sacrifices and all of that over here. And you had the two systems running together. But David took a vow after he became king. Psalm 132, he said, I vow, I will not rest, I will not, I will not slumber, I will not go to my chamber, I will not do anything until I've set up a holy habitation for God on the earth. It's exactly the same vow that Moses took. It's interesting, the two tabernacles. But then when King Solomon is king, those two systems come together. And they were never separated again until Christ. In the temple of Solomon, they took the sacrificial system and the musical system and they brought them together. And you have what? A sacrifice of praise. Right? In New Testament, offer a sacrifice of praise. What happened when they brought them together? 2 Chronicles 5, 11 to 14. And it came to pass, now David's gone, Solomon's now king, they built the temple, all the plans, all the specific plans like God gave to Moses for the tabernacle in the desert, David saw into heaven and God gave him practical, detailed plans how to build the temple. Solomon builds the temple, this is what happens. And it came to pass when the priests came out of the most holy place. Why is that so important? That had never happened. Why? Priests. Not one high priest. All of them. And there were thousands. Never seen before in Scripture. All the priests of Aaron's line. They all stand in the most holy place. Yet in the desert, one guy. And after that, they went back to the old system. But all the priests this one time were all present, had sanctified themselves. They all came out of the holy place without keeping to their divisions. And the Levites who were singers, all those of Asaph and Heman and Jeduthun, they were what? The? What were they? The three? Someone say it. Be bold. Chief musicians. Our Jewish friend. She knows. Lovely. All of those of Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun, or Jeduthun, those are the three chief musicians under David, with their sons and their brethren, stood at the east end of the altar, clothed. I mean, think of Revelation. Think of what it's showing us. Clothed in white linen, having cymbals, stringed instruments, and harps, and then 120 priests sounding with trumpets. Indeed, it came to pass when the trumpeters and their singers were as one. That's unity. Think of Acts 2, when we were all together in one accord and in one place, the Holy Spirit fell. When the trumpeters and the singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord, and when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and the cymbals and the instruments of music and praised the Lord saying, for he is good and his mercy endures forever, that the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with a cloud so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud. For the glory of the God, the glory of the Lord, filled the house of God. Heaven came down. Because a young boy had a heart for God and learned how to worship and establish something on the earth that he saw in heaven. <laughs> From that time, just like church history, it goes like this in Israel. 
it just does. It goes up, then they forget God. So God does amazing things because he's awesome. And then they're like, oh, wow, God. And then they're like, oh, us. Oh, God, oh, us. It's much like us. Yeah? Yeah. Who's never done that? Yeah. Yeah, we'll cast it out afterwards. So, and it says here, I've got here, and I'll just throw up the list, all of the seven revivals in the Old Testament times. They're, in a sense, we call them revivals, the seven high points of Israel's history. From that point to the 400 years of silence between the Testaments, from that point, all seven revivals came because they recognized they had forgotten the Davidic order of worship and they restored it and revival came. Every time. Can I take you through one or two of them? Real quick, just to show you. Solomon, we're not going to go through that because, well, we know that one. Jehoshaphat, 2 Chronicles 20. You can go read it. Joash, seven years old. All the scriptures are behind. He was seven, so there was Jehoiada, the priest, who actually instituted the Davidic order of worship. And then if you go to Hezekiah, let's go to 2 Chronicles, um, let's go to 29. 2 Chronicles 29. And it says this, verse 25 to 31. It says, and he stationed, so Hezekiah restores temple worship, and he also restores the whole tabernacle of Moses, the sacrifices, and so they restore the two, always the two, always Moses first and David's, and if you go read through Chronicles, you'll see, oh, there's a, God's, God's back in his house, and so they restore that and that, both, because they'd come together, and then in verse 25, it says, 2 Chronicles 29, 25, and he stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals and stringed instruments with harps according to the commandment of David, of Gad the king's seer, of Nathan the prophet. That's back in David's day. For thus was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. The Levites stood with the instruments of David and the priests with the trumpets. And then it says, and when the burnt offering began, and then, they, then it goes on verse 30, moreover King Hezekiah and the leaders commanded the Levites to sing, to praise with the words of David and Asaph the seer. So the service of the house of the Lord, verse 35, was set in order. <laughs> was set in order. Kingly order in God's house with stringed instruments and worship and praise and beauty and glory and creativity. Not, no, no, no. Creativity and art and expression. And then, you know, Israel goes down again. Then Josiah comes. And I'm just going to go a little bit forward to 2 Chronicles 35. And Josiah comes and it says this. And after this, we'll do one more. Then we'll be done with this part. And then Josiah reinstitutes it. And he institutes all the Aaron's, the Aaronic priests for the sacrifice. Then he says in verse 15, 2 Chronicles 35, 15. And the singers and the sons of Asaph were in their places. According, see the sons of Asaph. This is hundreds of years later. So David instituted Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun. Heman was Samuel's grandson. So it's kind of got a prophetic line. And throughout the generations, they continued full-time to raise their sons in worship and in music from birth. So it says here, it says, go get those guys. Go get those, do you know those weird musicians? People have gone into the woods or something, you know, they'd, they'd left the temple. Go gather the sons of Asaph. We need them back in the house of God. And it says, and the singers, the sons of Asaph, were in their places according to the command of David, Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun, the three chief musicians. 
the king's seer, and also the gatekeepers to each gate and so forth and so forth. And then it actually says it again. Their brethren, the Levites, prepared all their portions. They paid them full time. Well, let's just go to the last one. Then it happens again in Ezra's day when they rebuild the temple. They reinstitute. Same scriptures. Go do this. Then this is the last one. In Nehemiah, they rebuild the wall. And in Nehemiah 12, verse 27 to 29, it says this. Now at the dedication of the wall, who knows the story of Nehemiah where they built the wall? At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites and their places to bring them to Jerusalem. They had wandered off. You know, musicians, you know? They wandered off. And so go get the musicians, go bring them back, set them back in place in the house of the Lord in order under kingly structure, prophetic culture, a priestly, a priesthood, because now we're all priests. Bring them back. And it says, so they, they had left, and it says, go gather them, bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgiving and with singing, with cymbals, with stringed instruments and harps. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the countryside around Jerusalem, from all the village. And he goes, for the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. Because in David's day, they lodged right around the temple. They lived there. And then lastly, it says this, verse 45, both the singers and the gatekeepers kept the charge of their God. They kept the charge of their God. They kept the watch in the heart of their God and the charge of the purification according to the command of David and Solomon his son. And this verse, I tell you, just hits my heart. For in the days of David and Asaph of old, there were chiefs of singers and songs of praise and thanksgiving. And thanksgiving to God. And God is wanting to restore that. That's what Acts 15 is about. In the days of David, there were chiefs of singers. Friends, how I long to see every priest, you're all priests if you're saved, every priest in God's house to have their appointed place. doesn't mean we're all going to be full-time in vocational ministry, but you are all in ministry, all of you, you, whether you work or however, that's the world's mindset. You're a priest in God's house. <laughs> you are. And to establish something of a holy habitation of God is to go gather the priests and set back in order of God's house the singers and the musicians and the priests, and the ones for the sacrificial ones, and the leaders, and the, set them in order. Their destiny, their call, their purpose, and bring kingly order to it, kingly structure to it, and a prophetic culture. That's what he did. And all seven, you can go study it if you want, all seven of the revivals in the Old Testament after David's day, We'll say that again. And they set in order the worship of the Davidic worship of David's house. And prominent and prosperity came to the land and Israel rose back up. It would be what we would call revival. Came back to God's people. It says, and they remembered their God. Really remembered their God. Isn't that wonderful? I'm gonna quickly go over something here, very practical, and the sacrifice of praise. I had two sermons in front of me and I didn't know which one to touch on. 
and then Jen started talking about that. This is something that they said, some of it they said this week, and I've said it before, but they just said it so nicely. In Isaiah 60, verse 18, I'm going to talk about a sacrifice of praise. What I want to do very practically is walk you through a process that is all over Scripture of how to praise into breakthrough. Yeah? Yeah, okay, great. So excited. Isaiah 60, verse 18, your walls will be called salvation and your gates praise. Your walls will be called salvation and your gates praise. There were 12 gates on the wall that Nehemiah built in, you know, in Jerusalem. Your walls will be called salvation and your gates praise. Salvation, we can't do that. Salvation is what God does for us, yeah? Praise is what we do. He does one, we do one. In Revelations 21, 21, if you go look at it, it talks about the gates in the wall, the gates in heaven, or the multiple gates. There's 12 of them. And each one of them is made up of a single pearl. It's a big pearl, obviously. It's large. And they're made up of a single pearl. Now, how is a pearl formed? Who knows? Irritation. Yeah, right? That's why parents are so wonderful because they've been f- so well formed. But each gate is made up of one huge pearl and pearls are formed with irritation. And someone said it this week, gates are formed when we give praise in adverse situations. What that means is there's a path, there's a, there's a frequently traveled path that gets developed in your heart or in a body, or in a family, or in a region. There's a frequently traveled path where the natural, the natural response to an adverse situation, to a situation we cannot understand, to a person that we know this issue is not from God, yet we pray, yet nothing happens, to uh, an issue that is difficult that we don't understand, to stuff in our heart that we can't seem to, and we naturally will respond with praise because there's something that's been developed in a house, there's something that's been developed in a heart where we know we build the gate, he builds the wall. And your gates will be called praise. And instead of getting offended when we get irritated, offended at people, offended at God, self-pity, eat the worms, you know, the whole deal. And then we actually give the, by the way, when you complain specifically against leadership, and I'm not saying that one because I am one, please hear my heart. There's an there's a agreement that's made with the enemy. I, I just don't suggest it. You know, parents too, against parents. <laughs> it's, it's just not a good idea. But, so your gates will be called praise, and we establish praise. Now, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16 to 19 says this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And I used to say to the youth, and you probably heard me say this before, that come, what's the will of God for my life? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. No, no, I, I want it like I'm a doctor or, yeah, that's great. If you want to be a doctor, go be a doctor. And rejoice always, and pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. New Testament. Friends, it is in my heart. We need to see prophets raised up in this house. Not because it sounds nice. It's actually very messy. 
that they are for today. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from evil. So rejoice always, and in everything give thanks. I'm going to touch on these two very quickly. In a sacrifice of praise. How do we do this? Firstly, it's a command. Rejoice always. In the world, you rejoice because you have joy. Yeah? In the kingdom, you have joy because you've rejoiced. Someone said that this week, and I've heard it before, and I was like, that's right. In the world, you rejoice as a response. But in the kingdom, you have joy because you've rejoiced. All through the Bible, it's like that. And I believe it's the key to God's perspective. I really do. The key to God's perspective is giving thanks in all things. It actually, just like all over, the, even with Joseph, I've just preached them three, four weeks ago, when Joseph turned to his brothers and said, it was God who made me come here. And they sold him as slaves. And he said, no, it's God. Why? Rejoice. Give thanks. His perspective became, he saw like God saw. No offense, no issues, no rejoice always. Someone said, emotional health comes from my willingness to offer an offering of joy, a sacrifice of joy, an offering of joy. Do you know that rejoicing, rejoice always, rejoicing, rejoicing, where does a believer's strength come from? Joy. Yeah? You know, it's the scripture. Joy of the Lord will be your strength. Strength. Rejoice always. It's not when I have joy. And when, when things are happening, I'm going to be very practical, what starts to happen is it's actually easier, I know because I've done this, it's easier to go into spiritual warfare. To just, oh, devil, you, what, mm, you know. So you, you start to pray and spiritual warfare, it's actually easier. Or to cry out to God is easier. But to rejoice is the opposite thing of what you feel like doing. Pray already is difficult. It's like, I don't want to pray. I want people to feel sorry for me. Can't you see my affliction? It's just horrendous, you know. So then we think, well, I'll be spiritual, I'll pray. God, look at my affliction. <laughs> so it's like, you know. But... Or, or spiritual warfare. Devil, I hate you. But to rejoice. Oh boy. That's a whole different story. It is the opposite thing. But no, God, there's a command. There's many commands in the New Testament. Some people say there aren't. There's many. And this is one of them. Rejoice. And you know, there's no command that God gives that violates his children's identity. So he doesn't say rejoice if you're, what's the word I'm looking for? Extrovert. Extroverts rejoice. The rest of you just think it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like that. I see it in the church where people are some naturally extravagant. So I'm going to worship you, God. And, you know, you can tell sometimes what one person's thinking all the time because they just, it's, they, they think out loud. Their body, their mouth, everything is, ah, you know, it's like that. But some people, you know, it's not, and that's fine. But when it comes to worship, well, that's different. It's like, I'm worshiping in my heart. Like, well, the Bible says, 
That's, that's not the way. God doesn't give a command that violates who you are. And that's what Jen said, we're believers, not feelers. Because if I worship God in my way, I've created a God in my own image. So the most necessary place to experience victory and triumph is in your heart. Is in your own heart. Because when you experience victory in here, through God's patterns, rejoice always. And victory comes in here. The victory that you have in here will start to touch things out here. They will start to be demonstrated out here. But it's victory in here first. It's like I've said when it comes to people coming at you and shouting at you. I, if I'm free from who I am in terms of my old man, if I'm free from that man, I'm free from you too. Because you can come at me as much as you want. And I can still love you because I'm free from letting the old man have expression. And if I'm free from that, I'm free from you. And if I'm free from you, then I can love you. Not before. Because then I love you based on how you treat me. That's not love. Love does not seek its own desire. It's the same with worship. Rejoice always. And the Bible says it, rejoice always. And I say again, rejoice. You know that in 1 Chronicles 15 and 16, when David appointed, he said to the Levites, to the chief musicians, appoint singers. Now we're gonna go over this practically next week. What are the five words that David used to establish the musicians? And if you're a musician here, next week, you're gonna be like, yes, yes, that's me. Because it's real, the Bible, five things, it describes the musicians. You know, it's very real. But he says, appoint singers to sing songs and to rejoice before the ark was there. Rejoice before there's a reason for joy. It was their appointment in the Old Testament. And then, I'm gonna go another five minutes. Can we read Psalm 100? Can you throw it up? Because things, how many of you know when this is happening, it often begins in faith or in the flesh. By faith, I mean it's not this overwhelming ability to believe. I know what's true. I have some spiritual understanding. I don't care because I don't feel like doing anything. But like, yeah, okay, I know, I know. So there's faith. So it starts in the flesh. It starts in the natural. But it doesn't end there. Who knows what I'm talking about? It starts, you have to, and then it starts, but it doesn't end there, okay? This is, this is what I'm gonna help you see, hopefully today, and I, if, if, I'm trying not to make a definitive statement. If you take this and put it into your life, it will change your life. That's a very definitive statement, so. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Now, the seven words for praise, I'm going to have to go over this quick. The word gates is sha'ar, there, and thanksgiving is toda. It's one of the words for praise, or tauda. And then the praise, the second praise, enter his courts with praise is tehillah. But his courts is not just a normal word for courts or the outer courts of the Lord. It's um, the courts, it means his abode and his holy habitation. So, there's a process here. And so, some people have heard this verse. Who's heard the verse? And like, all right, so the first song we must sing about, God, you're good, and we thank you, and, and, and then, you know, it, it's so much more than that, and I'm going to explain it very, very quickly. Enter his gates. That word, gates, is sha'ar, with thanks, 
giving or with toda. Now, toda and yada are the two forms of praise that have to do with thanking God that has nothing to do with you. It's thanking God for His worth. I'm thanking God for things that He is, before I have them. I'm thanking God in faith. I'm thanking Him. I'm thanking Him. I'm thanking Him. I'm thanking Him. Rejoice always. And in everything, give thanks. So I'm thanking Him. But it has to be thanks from something that you know in your heart. Not something that somebody else knows. Jesus said in Mark 7, the people come, they worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far. That's actually false worship. And it says, my father is seeking those who will worship in spirit, in the spirit, and in truth. You, you actually believe what you're saying. You know the word gates, shahar? The root word for that word gates is also shahar. It's very rare that that happens. And you know what it means? To split open and to cleave. So I'm standing in a very natural realm. I'm standing, here I am. Wonderful to look at. <laughs> but I'm standing in a very natural realm, right? And something, life is not good. Something's happening. There's a tragedy. There's a crisis. So what do I do? I take what I know of God and I, I don't feel like it. I feel like telling him, mm, let me tell you something. You know, I, I do the opposite. I take what I know of him. The only other time, the root word, it's actually only used one time in the Bible, the root word for shahar, to split, to cleave open, is as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. That word think, it's the only time that that word is used in the Bible. <laughs> Take what you know in your heart of God and use it to split open as a gate and step into that realm and then to cleave onto God. That's what it means. So I start and I say, God, I thank you. You are the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. You have all power, dominion. You are whatever you know to be true. And whatever you've experienced, you are the provider. You are my father. You love me. This is not from you, but God, it's nothing to do with me yet. It's not me, my situation. And slowly, something will begin to change in your heart. That's why I cannot pray without going into praise and worship. I cannot, I mean, not for a couple minutes, for an extent. I cannot worship without having, going into prayer. And then there's the prophetic element, all three, three cords, one rope. And so you stand there and you tear open the natural realm. You tear it open and you clip onto him. And then you hang on. You do. Say, God, I will not let you go. That's why the first time you ever see the gate of heaven, surely this is the house of God, the gate of heaven. Whereas when Jacob said, I will not let you go. So you tear it open, and friends, I've done it. And it's easier to do it for others than for you. Why? Because you know your failures and faults. And we judge ourselves far more than he does. So there's no faith involved. But I can do it for others. I learned to do it through doing it for others. And then I step, I've stepped into, I'm no longer just, I mean, I'm still in the earth realm, but I'm no longer, there's, there's, there's something's changed. Even like something's changed in the room now. And then it says, and his courts, his habitation with praise, that obviously, surprise, surprise, is to healer. 
with a deep song from the heart. Then, just like David did, God, the people are after me. God, help me, God. And one of two things will happen. He will either change your situation or he will change you. And you will see your situation different. You don't leave there the same. Enter his courts with thanksgiving. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. His courts with praise. Can I tell you one story? It's a little crazy. People always ask me, please tell more stories, tell more stories. And I'm sometimes hesitant too because I don't want it to point to me. And, but I'll, I'll listen. We went on a youth retreat many years ago. And the Friday night, we had ministry, and it was awful. It really was awful. It was like I was there, but God was not, you know. It was just really terrible, and I, I got into a bad mood, very, very noble. And uh, I said to my wife, you're going to be like, you said what? I said, babe, yeah, I'm done. I'm going home. If, if, God, if God's not here, I, I have nothing. I, I, I'm a one-trick pony. I know him. That's it. Uh, I'm not here to play games, and so I'm going to go home. She says, honey. You can't just leave the kids. I'm like, but you guys are here. You know, bad attitude. And I, obviously, I wasn't. I was just like frustrated. And there was such demonic attack. And I can go into it. It was intense. Over a youth retreat for maybe 50 kids. And partly why I got frustrated is because I had done it for years. And I know what it takes. And I just didn't feel like doing it. It's like, I don't feel like it. I don't. I don't want to do it. So I got up at four in the morning, and I went outside, it's pitch black, and I started to do this for hours. It's, what I've, it's just something I've learned to do. And I started to rejoice, physically, jump up and down, in the middle of the woods. Rejoice, physically, with your body. Rejoice, and I'm not, I don't look nice when I jump, you know? <laughs> Because once I'm done jumping, things are still moving. You know, it's like. <laughs> so I, I jump and I rejoice and I rejoice. There's nothing to rejoice about. Then the fear comes on me from the enemy. I mean, I'm fearing everything. Wolves and bears. They don't even, they're not even there. <laughs> and so I know what, so I wrapped my, my thing, scarf around and I put it and I closed myself in. I've been there for an hour and a half. Nothing's changed. I'm still in the rejoicing phase. I'm like, this rejoicing bit, you know? So I'm rejoicing and I'm declaring and I'm worshiping. And then a wind starts to howl. Um, and I start to get moved by like this wind. And so I opened it up and I, before the Lord, I look up and there's a whirlwind of leaves going around me because I've just gone into winter. It's about as high as this roof, like it's swirling around me. Spiritual warfare of the young people. And that's kind of things carried on. Then, this is great, there was no forecast for snow. It starts to snow. It was supposed to be sunny. And something just, I just cried, God, and I just started to say, no, you have no right here. And I just, you know, and now you've stepped in. And now you and the Lord are together. And I just, 
for another about an hour and a half, and then all of a sudden, things changed. All of a sudden. And I just fell down to weeping and worshiping, and now nothing can touch you. Literally, it's like that. You're, it's like you feel invisible, and it's not in the natural. There's no pride there, trust, trust me. And everything opens. Everything changed, the snow left, the clouds left. Everything changed. And I walked back up to the retreat, and we just started the service, and people just started falling out of their chairs. Rejoice, and in everything give thanks. This is what David established. You learn that. Oh, different world. We'll carry on with practicals next week. Thank you. Yeah, my wife is going to say something. I just want to say something. I never tagged on, but this is obviously Sorry, a very it's gone so long. passionate subject for me. And I just want to leave you with one thing. I'm working through just a book and just some stuff that has to do with this. And there's a challenging question that I just felt the Lord prompt me to say to you as you work through this whole, what does rejoicing and praise play in my life versus emotions? And there's so much that goes into it. Like Clayton said, there's so much choice. But for me, the question that I'm meditating on challenging myself is when I wake up in the morning, I'm more naturally, okay, what do I feel today? How am I feeling based off of what I know I have to do? Is it work day? Is it mom day? Is it what's going on with this? What's going on? And our flesh will very naturally, how am I feeling? And then we begin to feel based off of our circumstances. I'm already feeling overwhelmed and I haven't started the day or I'm already feeling inadequate as this or as a parent or as a spouse. And my challenge for you this week is when that thought comes in is to switch it and say, what do I believe today? What do I believe today? And let that be what sets your course for the day. Let that be, what do I, not what I feel today, but what do I believe about God? Because whether I'm feeling inadequate as this, as that, as a spouse, as a parent, what do I believe? Who does God say that I am? What does God say about my circumstance? And I just feel to leave that with you today. What do you believe when you wake up in the morning about God? Remind yourself what that is. Rejoice over those truths that you know and allow your feelings to come underneath of that as opposed to letting your feelings drive your day. Let the truth of who God is drive your day and your feelings will begin to follow that. And I encourage you to practice that. I'm on that journey as well. Amen. Why don't we stand?